0: been a challenging year for many, and how businesses and individuals react under pressure and manage risk can truly define their future. The Biden administration has made it clear that deterring corruption and fraud through aggressive enforcement is a top priority, and the Department of Justice is ready to take action. One of the U.S. government's most powerful tools to combat fraud and abuse involving government funds is the False Claims Act. In this podcast series, We'll discuss some of the biggest issues that have surfaced and how courts are interpreting key issues under the False Claims Act. Additionally, we'll take a look at how the new administration is reshaping False Claims Act enforcement today and in the years to come.
1: Now, we all know that cybersecurity is a key concern for every company and every government around the world. Since the pandemic, cyber related crime is on the rise. And with that comes an increase in cyber fraud. Many of our clients who conduct business with the U.S. government are also keenly aware of the risks associated with the False Claims Act, which is the civil statute that permits treble damages for the government in a number of circumstances, including when a false or misleading claim for payment is made to the government. Now, there is a clear intersection between these two important issues. In October 2021, the Department of Justice announced plans to crack down on cyber fraud, launching an initiative that uses the False Claims Act to target Cybersecurity-related fraud by government contractors, subcontractors, grant recipients, and potentially others. My name is Dave Sharfstein. I'm a partner here at Hogan Lovells. My practice is focused on government investigations and enforcement matters, including the False Claims Act. And here to dive into this issue with me are two of my favorite colleagues, Mike Tice and Stacy Hattica. Mike is a partner in our Denver office, who for more than three decades has been on the front lines of litigation involving allegations of fraud and false claims, including a 17-year stretch with the Department of Justice. Stacy is a counsel in our Washington, D.C. office. Stacy's practice encompasses all areas of government contracting with a particular focus on matters of compliance, including cybersecurity, investigations, and disclosure obligations. Mike and Stacy, it's great to chat with you today.
2: Thanks, David. It's great to be with you today.
3: Yeah, same here. Looking forward to it.
1: So let's start by unpacking this new initiative. Uh, It's called the Cyber Fraud Initiative. Uh, Mike, can you tell us, how does it work?
2: Well, look, David, I think that uh, most American companies and certainly any companies that do business with the federal government are familiar with the Federal False Claims Act. This new initiative is intended to take advantage of the expertise that the Department of Justice has in civil fraud enforcement uh, using the False Claims Act. Uh, as well as the expertise that the department has in government procurement and cybersecurity to enhance the government's ability to combat um, the threats that we see in the cybersecurity space. Uh, It's clear to me that the the Biden administration has made it a priority to encourage American companies, especially those who do business with uh, the government, Uh, to harden their defenses against computer intrusions, breaches, and cyber attacks. I mean, anybody who has been paying attention over the last few years has seen that these uh, intrusions and breaches have been significant, quite often involving um, confidential information that uh, can lead to all kinds of uh, fraud and The Department of Justice and this administration is looking for every tool that they can find to encourage companies to take uh, whatever measures are necessary to prevent those kinds of breaches and intrusions. And leveraging the False Claims Act to do that seems to me to be a very effective uh, strategy. Um, As you mentioned, the Act provides for trouble, damages, and penalties, it gives financial incentives. For whistleblowers to come forward. And the department has had tremendous success in the courts recovering uh, damages and penalties under the act since it was amended.
1: Do you envision there being any additional ramp up period here in the area of cybersecurity, where, for example, there may be less experience in bringing false claims at cases, which rely on an interpretation of? regulations that are aimed to protecting data?
2: Yeah, it's a great question, David. I'd say no. The False Claims Act was signed into law by President Lincoln during the Civil War. And when it was initially enacted, it was uh, addressing things like, you know, uh, shells and bullets uh, that that had sawdust instead of uh, gunpowder or, you know, lame mules being sold to the United States Army. Um. Obviously, over the last you know 150 years, uh, the act has um, evolved to address all kinds of fraud against the United States, uh, and this is just uh, one of, of many ways that the act can be uh, deployed. For the trial attorneys at the Department of Justice who enforce the act, this is just another uh, area of technical expertise that, that they will have to acquire, but they have a lot of support to do that from the client agencies that they work with and the investigators uh, who work in this area. And I, I think that they will quite readily be able to use the experience that that they have in procurement fraud to address this new uh, cyber fraud initiative.
1: Stacy, just building off of what Mike was just saying in terms of us expecting this to be At the top of mind for DOJ, what should we expect and what does DOJ hope to achieve from your perspective and based on your practice?
3: Well, straight from the initiative itself, there's actually three main goals that the DOJ has highlighted for focusing on with respect to the cyber fraud initiative. Um, They hope to hold individuals and companies contracting with the federal government accountable for one- knowingly providing deficient cybersecurity products or services, two, knowingly misrepresenting their cybersecurity practices or protocols, or three, knowingly violating obligations to monitor and report cybersecurity incidents and breaches. And so what this ultimately boils down to is that we'll likely see False Claims Act enforcement in the following types of scenarios, where the government is procuring software or hardware, We might also see it where a contractor is actually developing, implementing, or maintaining an IT system on behalf of the federal government, Uh, also where a contractor's IT systems are also used to process, store, or transmit certain government or sensitive information. We also could likely see enforcement action in the areas where contractors are providing cloud services. There's ramp program requirements and the DOD also has its own unique cybersecurity requirements uh, related to cloud providers. And then another area where we'll see it is where there are regulatory, statutory and contractual requirements to monitor and report data breaches.
1: Stacy, I know what our clients are thinking right now. I have data. Who should be particularly focused on preparing defenses and thinking around corners to try to mitigate the risk associated with this new initiative?
3: it doesn't just apply to contractors and grantees. This will also apply to subcontractors. Um, So any type of entity that's providing services or goods to the federal government, receiving federal financial assistance through grant programs, and also those companies that are supporting Prime contractors and grant recipients will be subject to potential enforcement and investigation. And a lot of companies may not think of themselves as a traditional government contractor in the sense, but because um, they may be supporting a government contractor, that may um, kind of loop them in under the umbrella of this particular initiative. Um, we will see, I think, companies in the aerospace, defense, and technology industries be especially vulnerable to enforcement and investigation. Um, But that said, no industries will be immune.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really important point. Uh, If companies uh, are looking at this initiative and saying, well, you know, I operate in the uh, higher education space or, you know, we're a healthcare company, we don't need to worry about this. I think that would be a mistake because so many contracts and grants and other arrangements with the federal government have. Uh, these kinds of cybersecurity requirements built into them, or those requirements are imposed by regulation or otherwise. So now that we've covered
1: the really broad scope of this initiative and the different industries and sectors that could be at risk, let's talk for a minute about how this will actually be enforced. The DOJ has said that it will seek to recuperate losses when companies, quote, fail to satisfy their cybersecurity obligations, unquote. I'm sure a lot of our clients are thinking, we have lots of cybersecurity obligations. So let's talk for a minute about what DOJ is going to expect our clients to be doing in terms of cybersecurity obligations to avoid facing the penalties associated with the False Claims Act.
2: I think the important point to underscore here is that in rolling this initiative out, the department has made it clear that they are going to be looking at any companies that have these obligations incorporated in their contracts or, or, or other uh, arrangements with the government. Uh, and they are going to be looking to see whether those companies are delivering the cybersecurity Requirements that that are imposed on them by contract or, or regulation, and they will be seeking to use the False Claims Act to recover uh, damages, treble damages, and penalties from companies that don't fulfill uh, the obligations that they have, regardless of whether there is actually a breach. If you're not fulfilling your contractual requirements to meet cybersecurity obligations, you're going to be subject to suit. Uh, under the act, even in the absence of a demonstrable breach. And Stacey, what are the
1: sources of the various obligations that our clients should be thinking about? Should they be reading the CFR? Should they be dusting off the the contract they have in a file cabinet somewhere? What, What should they be thinking about?
3: Well, I certainly recommend that they start with the contract itself. The contract itself can have its own unique security terms and conditions that could be outside of the regulatory realm. Um, But From a high level, what we see on the regulatory side is that there are clauses that the Federal Acquisitions Regulations and the Defense Federal Acquisition Regulation Supplement have created that contractors will um, have to follow and um, also outline various cybersecurity requirements. And so the standard clauses we see and hear about is the Federal Acquisition Regulation Safeguarding Clause. Um, It's a clause that requires all contractors and subcontractors to apply 15 specified security controls when they're processing, storing, or transmitting federal contract information in a covered contractor information system. DOD also has their own unique safeguarding and cyber incident reporting clause. It requires contractors to implement adequate security, and this could include Um, implementing NIST 800-171 security controls, implementing unique cloud computing security controls, and also requires contractors to follow those unique requirements in their contracts. Also, what's unique about that particular provision is it creates a cyber incident reporting requirement. And that reporting requirement requires that contractors that experience an incident must report it within 72 hours.
1: Looking forward, are there any new regulations? Is there any new legislation being put forward? Or what other considerations should contractors be aware of that could be rolling out in the next few months or years?
3: We've seen a lot of efforts so far, um, especially on the Hill, attempts to introduce legislation for cyber incident reporting. Um, You have the National Defense Authorization Act, which tends to now be somewhat cyber heavy given the high profile attacks that Mike had referenced previously. Um, But this year's NDAA um, was stripped of ultimately its more meaty cyber requirements. However, there was another standalone bill actually introduced Um, in Congress called the Cyber Incident Reporting Act of 2021. And and this was gonna impose a 72 hour reporting requirement for critical infrastructure operators. However, there was ultimately consideration to expand that requirement into all federal contractors. So if implemented, it would have had a sweeping effect across the entire federal government. Uh, Ultimately, this bill didn't go anywhere. But I do think we will see in the next year or two a government-wide requirement for cyber incident reporting that will be linked to the Biden executive order that focused on cybersecurity. Um, That's been about a year in the making. And so we are expecting some rulemakings to come out of that and DOD as I noted, has its Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Program, or CMMC, and they actually just launched the new CMMC 2.0. And again, that will allow for self-attestations, third-party certifications, and government-led certifications that, again, will serve as other avenues for DOJ to hook onto this um, cybersecurity initiative with.
1: So just to close out um, the discussion, I- I'm just curious on, do you have any key takeaways that you think our clients should be particularly focused on or having listened to this podcast? What's the one or two main things we feel like we want to impart on our clients in terms of what should be important
2: to them? David, I think the key takeaways are that this administration views cybersecurity as an important uh, priority for American companies uh, as a, an issue of national defense Uh, among other things. And it's clear that the Department of Justice is putting its enforcement muscle behind efforts to identify companies that are not delivering the cybersecurity technology and software that they are required to provide by contract or regulation. And two other keys, I think, are that, that the department is clearly enlisting the aid of whistleblowers to bring these cases to them. And that they are not going to await an actual breach or intrusion. That the failure to deliver promised cybersecurity is enough. Uh, even if there's not an actual breach, uh, the department is going to move ahead on on those cases, nevertheless. Stacy, what do you think?
3: Up until a couple years ago, companies have been given some leeway to work on implementing the various government cybersecurity requirements, and now I think this initiative is signaling that companies will no longer be immune to cybersecurity fraud-related allegations. And so, of course, companies that do business with the federal government will want to ensure that their employees fully understand what requirements and obligations they're subject to especially when they're going to be safeguarding government-sensitive information. And of course, as I noted before, certainly you want to scrutinize your contracts for cybersecurity, privacy, confidentiality, personnel requirements, um, and as or other requirements that may be imposed by regulation. And again, make sure that part of your regular compliance program, you have audits and take efforts um, directed at ensuring that you're meeting those various requirements.
1: And from my perspective, we all know that our clients are often feeling that there is pressure coming from a lot of different sources with a lot of responsibilities and areas to think about in terms of their compliance programs and in terms of risk. And this initiative, as we discussed, really is going to be one that we think DOJ will be focused on and for which there w- really will be uh, a string of cases that might emerge in 2022 and beyond. And so, Notwithstanding the fact that there are pressures coming from a lot of different directions, this really is a moment in time to take a breath, look at your obligations, your cybersecurity obligations, think about your compliance program, and ask questions if you have any. So Mike and Stacey, this was really helpful, a lot of fun. Thank you so much for talking with me about this important issue, and we hope everyone who's listening in enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. If you're interested in any of the issues raised during this podcast, we would love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach out to any of our podcast participants to talk through any of the questions or comments you may have. For additional analysis on this topic and others around the FCA, please download our latest publication, False Claims Act Guide 2021 in the Road Ahead from HoganLevels.com.